Well, good morning. Yeah, so, so Jacob's one of our deacons here at Living Hope, and I love hearing his testimony, um, and uh, just so thankful that he was, he was willing to share that. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, why don't you turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, we're kicking off our series called Ghost Stories, uh, where we look at the Holy Spirit, how it works in and around us, and take advantage of the cultural season that we're in here in the month of October. Uh, getting started a week late, we uh, talked about God and politics, always a an exciting topic uh, to certainly talk about, but I just, um, if you haven't listened to it, I would encourage you to go back and, and listen to that. I thought Aaron and Joe did a, a phenomenal job really talking through that topic and, and what our role is as Christians in, in the political arena and how we should be acting and really where should we take our cues, and that's from the Word of God in, in really any situation. So anyway, if you have not listened to that, I would encourage you to go back and, and do that. Well, this year we're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit's role in conversions and um, looking at several accounts in the books, book of Acts. And this week we begin with the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. And um, I'm excited to work through this passage. It's actually one of my favorite passages in the book of Acts. And I think we'll clearly see the work of the Holy Spirit in the conversion of this Ethiopian man through Philip, um, but also the necessity of an obedient believer and the, the importance of Scripture in bringing someone to the gospel. Um, so let's go and get started. So Acts 8, we're going to start in verse 26. So I want you to stand with me in honor of reading God's word this morning. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. We're going to verse 40. So it's going to take a minute, but we'll get through it. All right. It says, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. Verse 29, the spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shear, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? Verse 34 says, the eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about, himself or someone else? Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When, the, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus, and he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you um, for the Holy Spirit and how it works in our lives, God. I just pray that you would just remove any barriers to us receiving your word this morning. Just speak to us clearly, God. Remove any confusing thought or word from my mouth as I declare your word, God. And ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I'm sure we've all heard the phrase before, I was at the right place at the right time. My example of this was when I was a younger lad with a little bit more hair than I have now, but I was a student at OSU, and I, along with thousands of other students, went to the Schottenstein Center. We watched the Buckeyes play in one of the national championship games. And what was an otherwise forgetful evening, I'd happened to purchase the ticket that had the winning numbers for a free year of Raising Cane's Chicken. 
I mean, it's an incredible moment. You get this. All right. <laughs> it's an incredible moment. The sad part about that story is I actually only used two of the 52 coupons that I received that night because I got sick of raising canes. I ended up giving them to a bunch of other people. I still like raising canes. I just don't like it that much. But the point of the story is that I was in the right place at the right time, or at least I bought the right ticket at the right time. And I think we'll see today that the Holy Spirit is always working uh, to draw an unbeliever and a believer together at the right time, at the right place. And we always sing Waymaker, right? And the line in that song, it says, even when I can't see it, you're working. The Holy Spirit is always working in and around us. And while the Lord is drawing unbelievers to himself, he will use us to bring those people to salvation. The truth is that all we have to do is we have to be obedient. And so since we'll be in the book of Acts for this series, I thought I'd take a moment and just briefly summarize um, all the chapters leading up to chapter 8 here where we're going to be looking at the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. So just take a moment here, so stick with me. But, but we'll be in Acts, so Acts of the Apostles. And it chronicles many events in early church history, from Jesus' ascension to the birth and growth of the church, the day of Pentecost, the spread of the gospel in Jerusalem and beyond, and Paul's journey. And you can think of Acts as kind of that book that spans across the New Testament, across the New Testament uh, letters that are written to the church. And throughout much of Acts, we see the active work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you look at, in Acts, you'll see that the Holy Spirit is mentioned more than 50 times. So we see the importance of the Holy Spirit. But one of the other things that we see in Acts is the importance of Jesus being made known as the Messiah, as uh, foretold through the Old Testament, right? So every time you would see them present the gospel, they would use Scripture as part of that message. And I think that gives us a, a backdrop to not only today's passage, but as we work through the rest of the series, right? The importance of the Holy Spirit's role in the conversion of an un unbelieving sinner to a sanctified saint, and the importance of Scripture being used in that presentation of the gospel, so in Acts 1, we see Jesus ascend. Before he goes, he says, hey, I'm going to empower you by the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And that's an important passage that we'll see here in a moment. But then in Acts 2, we see the day of Pentecost, the arrival of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 men, not including women or children, are brought to salvation. And from there, the gospel begins to spread throughout Jerusalem. In Acts 4 and 5, they begin to face persecution the apostles are arrested, but the gospel continues to spread, and many miracles are done to confirm the gospel message. In Acts 7, we see Stephen, who's one of the seven chosen, a deacon. He's standing before the Sanhedrin, which is, which is essentially a Jewish courtroom, and he's given an incredible defense of the Christian faith before those Jewish leaders. And he's using Old Testament scripture to show that Jesus is the Messiah. This, of course, enraged the, enraged the Jewish leaders and they took Stephen out of the city, and they stoned him. It's where, at this point, we're, we're introduced to Paul, who was then called Saul, who was really leading this persecution against the church or against the followers of the way. And then when we make it to Acts 8, we're introduced to what I think is an important moment in church history. Because up to this moment, the gospel has, has mainly been shared in Jerusalem. But if we remember what Jesus said, and I just quoted it a moment ago, in Acts 1.8, he said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So a question may have been asked, how is this church going to grow outside of Jerusalem? How is the gospel going to spread to all these other regions? We have this working in Jerusalem, but how are we going to get this outside Jerusalem to these other places? And the answer to that we can see is in Acts 8.1, and it says this, 
On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. So they're asking, how are we going to witness all these areas? And Jesus was like, here you go, persecution, right? Yay, right? But I mean, it, it, like how else were they going to get there? This was the plan that God had put in place, right? So, but because of persecution, these believers were scattered throughout those regions that Jesus said they were going to reach for his name. And what I find amazing is the, the response that these believers had to that persecution. We see in Acts 8, 4, it says, So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. So in the face of great persecution, of being just dragged from their homes, of being dragged into the prison, right, they're running into these surrounding regions. Instead of running in fear, they're, while they're running, they're preaching the word. They're, they're spreading the gospel. And I think this is really a response to the disciples' prayer in, in Acts 4.29 where it said that, and now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. So they prayed, Lord, give us boldness. Give us boldness as we speak your word. And in verse 31, it said that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Another interesting fact about that, that all filled, you know, filled it, it, from that Greek word, it basically just means they were filled to the brim. There was no, there was no balance. There's no balance to it. It wasn't that they were fearful and they were also bold. It was just that they were fully bold. There was no timidity, no inhibition in that. They were just so moved by the Spirit that any fear that they had was subsided. I think it'd be interesting if we truly prayed that in faith, like what would happen, right, in our daily lives. So now that they were sharing the gospel in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, the only place left is the end of the earth. And so how do we get the gospel message to the end of the earth? And that's what brings us to today's passage in Acts 8.26, where we meet a man named Philip. He's one of the scattered. He finds himself in Samaria. He's one of the seven, along with Stephen, back in Acts chapter 6, that was chosen to serve as a deacon. And uh, he's one of the men of good, uh, good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom. Um, in Acts 21.9, you see Philip referred to as Philip the Evangelist, so we know he's not afraid to share the gospel. And so in Acts 8.5, we see that Philip is, is in a city in Samaria, is proclaiming the gospel message to them. And again, that's what you always saw the early church doing. They were proclaiming the gospel. They were preaching the word. They were preaching Jesus everywhere they went. And this is what Philip is going to do here in Acts 8.26. And there are really three things, three points that, that we as Christians, I think, and, and the church, and specifically our church here, can take away from this. And the first one is this. It's the Holy Spirit's preparation. The Holy Spirit's preparation. Let's look at um, Acts 8, beginning in verse 26 again. And it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to Philip, Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. So I think what we can clearly see from this passage is that God was doing something in the heart of this Ethiopian man, and he was being drawn. He was being drawn to the Lord. And if we look at what Jesus said in John 6, he said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent him, or sent me, draws him, right? So otherwise, we can't get to Jesus. We've talked this, about this a lot over this past year, right? There has to be an initiation by the Spirit of God in the heart of an unbeliever to be drawn towards Christ reason being is because we're dead otherwise. We know common sense states that, that if you're dead, you can't really respond to anything. 
So, right, we can't respond to that without God bringing us to life. Ephesians 2.1 says that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Romans 3 says no one is righteous, no, not one. So we can't bring ourselves to life. God has to do that work for us. A couple of verses that, that show this. 2 Corinthians 4.6. It says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Or 2 Timothy 1.9. God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Acts 2.29, near the end of Peter's sermon at Pentecost, he said, For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Jesus also said in John 5.25, Truly I tell you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. I think if you go back to the Ephesians 2 example, right? In, in verse 1, it said that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. But the good news is in verse 4 where it said, but God made us alive. He made us alive. We were saved by grace through faith, and this is God's gift to us. So there has to be something initiated on God's part that brings and that draws and that leads the dead sinner to a saving faith and into life through Jesus. If we look back at verse 27, we see that he was coming from Jerusalem where he had come to worship. What's interesting about this is that um, he would have been prevented from becoming a full proselyte or a full convert to Judaism, given that he was a eunuch. If you look earlier in Deuteronomy 23.1, it essentially banned those that had emasculated themselves that way because the practice of becoming a eunuch was, uh, was uh, typically part of a pagan practice or a pagan ritual. So the Lord was very clear on his views towards people that had done that. But regardless of that, he was being drawn towards the Lord. He was being drawn. He came to worship. He came seeking. He was searching for something. In Acts 8, 28, we then see he was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. Of all the prophets to read, of course, he's reading Isaiah. And not just any part of Isaiah. He's reading Isaiah 53, the, the very chapter that points to the salvation found in Jesus through his suffering. So you can see that the Holy Spirit is really weaving everything together. He's sending Philip into the desert, for one, right? And then he hears this eunuch reading Isaiah 53 aloud. Really, there's, this is fertile ground for the presentation of the gospel. It's a prime opportunity based on the Lord's timing and his preparation for, for the searching heart of this man to then be presented the gospel. And that's what Philip is going to be doing here. That brings us to our next point. It's the obedient believer. The obedient believer. Again, let's look at verse 26 and 27. It says, An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Get up and go south to the, um, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. Right? He, did, he just tells him to go to the desert. And Philip's just like, okay, yeah, we'll do this. Right? And it was probably a very, actually a very long journey from where he was in Samaria. But there was no hesitation. Philip didn't question at all. He just simply obeyed. What's also interesting here is that the angel of the Lord actually didn't tell Philip what he was going to do. But I think it's because Philip knew exactly what he was going to do. If you look at verse 4 and 25 earlier of this chapter, what were they doing? They were going through the towns and the cities, and they were just simply preaching the gospel. They were preaching the gospel. So he knew that he was probably just going to preach the word, because that's what they did. Everywhere they went, they preached the word. The next camp command we see the angel give Philip is in verse 29, where he says, go and join that chariot. 
So what does Philip do? He runs. Right? He's not hesitating. He's not questioning. He's just, okay, I'm going to run towards this chariot of this, this guy. I have no idea who, it, who he is, right? And when he runs up to him, he hears him reading this very passage in Isaiah aloud. And so you can see again that the Holy Spirit is clearly preparing the heart of this man. He's reading Isaiah 53 aloud. It's pointing to Jesus as the atonement for our sins. And now here comes an obedient Philip to present him the gospel. And if we take a moment really to ask ourselves, like, how often would we probably do what Philip did? Um, You know, oftentimes, at least this is true for me, right? I get this prompting in my heart uh, to go to someone or to share something or ask a question or just offer to pray. And I hesitate or I ignore, right? Or I get afraid. And to be, I mean, we make it too complicated, if I'm honest, right? I just didn't have a chance there or we had to go. I ran out of time, whatever it is. But in reality, these opportunities, when they present themselves, it's actually fairly simple. I think if we simply just did what was asked of us, that we'll see that God is doing something the entire time. Because we know that God uses people to reach people. I thought back to our series a few months ago where we looked at how God speaks to us. Right? Aaron Joe talked about how God speaks to us through circumstances. He speaks to us through Scripture. But one of the ways that God speaks to us is through other people. And, then, and there are people that we come into contact every day who are searching for something, who God is preparing their hearts, whose spirit is working within them, and it's just waiting for a presentation of the gospel. And sometimes we're waiting for the right moment, or at least what we think is the right moment. But the right moment is really when we are simply obedient to that spirit's prompting. We have to understand that we are an instrument. We are a tool to be used by God. And because God made us, he gets to decide how to use us, is the honest truth. A couple of verses that talk about this, 2 Timothy 2, 20-21, it says, Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument, set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Our role is to be a willing, obedient instrument, to be used by God whenever he chooses. And Philip was being exactly that. I thought also back to uh, the, the men's summit that we went to this past January and uh, for those that were there, if you remember, Joe Veal said something I thought was just incredible. And I wrote, I wrote this down, and I was reminded of it as I was preparing for today. He just said, someone is waiting on the other side of your obedience. Right? Someone is just waiting on the other side of your obedience. All we have to do is take the first step. We just have to take the first step. And Philip took that step in obedience and stepped into an opportunity to share the gospel. But he had, had to be prepared. He had to be prepared for that. that. That's what brings us to our, our next point is the scripture. The scripture. So verse 30, we read this. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Verse 34 the eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about, himself or someone else? Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning from that scripture. Uh, quick side note, right? What's cool about this 
passage, too, is that the eunuch probably made it eventually to Isaiah 56. And if you look at Isaiah 56, the Lord is, is out, uh, laying out the res- restoration of several people groups, and one of them is a eunuch. Right? The eunuch may say to himself, like, I'm just a dried-up tree, so that means I'm not going to bear fruit. Really, I can't have children. But the Lord is saying, I'm going to give them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. Right? That's better than sons and daughters. It's just incredible. And I think it just goes to show again in this passage, right, the Lord can restore anyone at any time, at any place. So in verse 35, again, we see Philip was proceeding to tell him the good news about Jesus beginning from that scripture. And what's clear here is that Philip knew the scriptures. Philip knew the word of God. How else would he have had the boldness to ask the question, do you understand what you're reading? The eunuch is reading Isaiah 53, and Philip knew exactly where he was at and exactly where to go next. And this is the same boldness, the same attitude that we saw all throughout Scripture, um, all throughout the book of Acts, because the Word of God speaks of Jesus, right? So when they're sharing the gospel, they're using Scripture to do it. And we know that it speaks of Jesus because that's what Jesus said in John 5, 39. We're saying you're searching the Scripture, thinking that there's salvation there, but he said they are actually testifying of me. So the scriptures are testifying of Christ. You see them using scripture when they're sharing the gospel in Acts 2 and 3 and 4 and 7 and 8 and 13 and on. The word of God was readily on their lips everywhere they went. So we have to know the scriptures. We have to know the word of God in order to effectively present the gospel to others. The eunuch also asked, how will I know unless someone guides me? We see that, remember we said that God uses people to reach other people? Look at Romans 10, 14. It says, How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And that preacher in the Greek, right, it's not just someone sitting up here on a Sunday morning just proclaiming the word, right? That preacher is really all of us. All of us have an opportunity to be able to preach the word. All of us have an opportunity to proclaim the gospel to everyone we come in contact with. But the truth of the matter is, is I think sometimes, and I'm guilty of this, we can underestimate how powerful the word of God is in the hands of an obedient believer. How powerful it is because the word of God can strike to the heart of any person. Hebrews 4, 12-13 lays this out, For the word of God is living and effective, and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Verse 13, no creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The word of God is a powerful tool in the hands of an obedient believer because God has designed it that way. And we shouldn't just proclaim the gospel on Sunday mornings, and never take it with us, right? When we, come, when we go out of this place, right, we're carrying the message of the cross, we're carrying the message of hope, we're carrying the message of Christ everywhere we go. And Aaron always likes to say, right, this is that, that, that pep rally that, that we get pumped up, we get equipped, and we get sent out, right? But we're not being sent out to just live dead and lifeless like everyone else is. We're sent out to live like we have the hope of Christ the only within us. And since we carry that message, we have to know his word, 2 Corinthians 5.20 talks about this. He says that God is making his appeal through us to be reconciled to him because we are his ambassadors. We are his ambassadors. 
We carry the message of the cross everywhere we go. The other thing I thought about was just a few weeks ago when, when we were making deliveries for the Finding Hope Center, and Aaron had an opportunity to share an Arabic translation of the Bible with a, with a lady that they were um, making the delivery to. And I thought about that as I read this passage. I'm just praying and, and just pray to the Lord that we get to meet her again, and I pray that she's reading that copy of God's Word and that she has questions, and that when we get to meet her again, that we will be ready to answer them. But to do that, we have to know God's Word to effectively share the gospel. So I'll summarize the last few verses of this passage as we begin to, begin to land here. In verse 36, you see that they were traveling down the road. It came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? Again, just another incredible instance of God's timing, of his preparation. They're in the middle of the desert, right? And oh, look, there's water. That's pretty cool. In verse uh, verse 38, he said, So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Quick note on uh, this. Your Bible probably does not have it. Verse 37, you'll see a footnote on that. I had to mention it because I wanted to cover everything. But verse 37, you'll see a footnote. It was not actually included in any of the earlier manuscripts, so that's why a lot of translations don't, don't have that. If you went to yesterday's Women's Bible Workshop, you'll know what to do with a footnote now. So that was a little plug there. Um, but anyway, all right. So verse 39 says, When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Right? He was rejoicing. He had met Jesus through an obedient Philip, and he went on his way rejoicing. In verse 40, we find out where Philip goes. He appears in Azotus, and he was traveling. And what was he doing? He was preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. That's what they did. They preached the gospel. It's always on their mind, always on their lips. So what are the takeaways as the praise team comes back up? Takeaways are this. The Holy Spirit is always working. And again, I find it incredible that we have an opportunity like the Finding Hope Center, right? Every month, every month we have opportunities that are just presented to us right, where, where the Holy Spirit is just working in the lives of these people and bringing them to us, and we have an incredible opportunity to be able to share the gospel. But it takes, those opportunities are there, but it takes us to be obedient and to take that first step. It's just waiting for us to be obedient and to be empowered by the Word of God. So I hope that encourages you this morning. I know it did me just this week as I was reading through that. We have to, we have to be obedient, I and mean, we have to be ready to share the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we know that you're always working. Father, we know that um, you're always working in and around us, giving us opportunities to be able to share the gospel with people who come in contact with God. And we pray, Lord, I just pray what the disciples prayed in Acts 4.29. God, grant your servants to speak your word with all boldness, God. We are your servants. Help us to be, as what Paul says in Romans 1.16, we're, we're not ashamed of the gospel because of the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Arm us with your word as you work in us and through us to advance your kingdom everywhere. And ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.